Amen. Amen. Thank you so much this morning. Have a seat. And I want to take a moment and welcome you. It is good to have you with us. And uh, it is a wonderful thing to worship the Lord together, isn't it? And I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. I know uh, many of you are home because of uh, a lot of different reasons. Some are quarantining right now. Some are taking precautions. But we miss you. And we can't wait for when you can come back and be with us. Uh, as soon as possible, we will be here and uh, we will look forward to having you with us again soon. If you are new or newer, I would invite you to check in with us at the guest center out here. If you're here with us in person, right through these doors, we have a gift for you and we'd like to catch up with how can we help you, how can we pray for you, what can we do for you. So make your way out there right after the service. If you're online with us, there is a guest form that you can fill out to let us know that you're participating and similarly, we're going to try to find whatever we can do to serve you this day. So let us know, uh, and we won't follow up with a barrage of you know, uh, emails or trying to sell you on our church. We just want to serve you. We want to be, if we can pray for you, if we can help you in some way, let us know. We want to do whatever we can. We are in Exodus chapter 32 today. We're going to finish up this chapter. And I've called this morning, it's time for excuses or decisions. Time for excuses or or decisions. And as I was getting ready for this this morning, during the week, one of the things I needed to do, I had to walk down uh, my basement stairs to get to my office. I had to go get something from my office. And as I walked down the basement stairs, I, I caught my eye on the first couple steps, some red writing, like from a magic marker, and a little red stick figure. And it reminded me of how it got there. We moved into this house uh, in 2002, and everything was new. We had built the house, so everything was brand new, new paint, new floors, new everything, st new steps, all of that. We moved in when Dustin was about three years old. So he's about the, the age of our grandson right now, so that helps me understand where we were in life. Now, the difference is our grandson is our firstborn. Dustin was our fourth. And I, parents, you're with me on this, but I, I have to say, you know, on the firstborn, all the radars are fully tuned in. There's constant vigilance. Every, every threat was, was abated right away. We were on top of it, right? By the time we got to number four, we were tired. And there were only two of us. We were outnumbered, right? So we were just kind of like checking in from time to time to make sure that everyone was still living and breathing somewhere along the way. So anyhow, one day, Dana opens up the basement steps and notices Dustin sitting on these steps, red marker in hand, drawing all over these new walls and all over these new steps. And she says to him, how did that writing get all over that step? How did that red man get there? And Dustin, three years old, brilliant, takes that red marker, puts it behind his back. It's not even there, right? And then he answers her with the confidence that only a three-year-old can. I didn't see my red marker draw that red man. <laughs> what do you say to that? Parents, we have to have a little conference. What do you do? Like, we, clearly we were sunk from the get, right? Like, we did, we, I'm sorry, everybody, we did the best we could. There's, you know, there's only so much you can do. No, in his three-year-old mind, it made perfect sense. He was about to get in trouble for something, and knowing Dustin, he didn't know what he was going to get in trouble for. 
He didn't know what he had done wrong. But he could tell from his mom's tone, this was not good. So something had to do with that red marking, and the red marker was in his hand. It was also all over his skin, you know, because... So the only thing to do was to say, someone else did it. Because if I did it, I'm going to be in trouble. If someone else did it, it's going to be a problem. He bought into this idea that if I can just be excused, everything will be okay. If I'm not at fault, if I can fix blame somewhere else, even if it's ridiculous, I will be okay. We often think like a three-year-old. That excusing ourselves is the solution to our problem. If it's not my fault, then it's not my problem, and I don't have to worry about it. The problem for us is that the red marking is still on the steps, that the fallout is still there. And I walk down all these years later, and it's still there. The fallout stays, but we excuse ourselves all the time, thinking that excuses set us free. But I would tell you today, what I really believe is that excuses are a prison. Once you start to feed into them, they start to bind you, they start to enslave you, you start to chase blame. That mistake isn't my fault, so therefore I'm excused, and we think that's the end of it. We say things like, well, that's just my personality. I'm just not that kind of person. I'm just, I just say what I think, and that's an excuse, and you just got to take me for who I am. I just don't like a lot of people. I like to be to myself, and that's just why I'm rude to people all the time. Like, we just excuse ourselves, right? Well, I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done what you did. So clearly, it's not my fault. It's yours. Don't look at what I did, look at what you did, because that's the problem. I don't know what else I could have done. Everyone else is doing it, so it must be okay. Or I'm not doing it as bad as other people are doing it, so we excuse ourselves and excuse ourselves and excuse ourselves. And I want to talk about that in light of this story in Genesis, because I think there's been quite a bit of excusing going on in our culture and in the church over the past year. We have tended to excuse those that we think are like us for some reason. And we tend to criticize and and see right through the hypocrisies of those who are not like us. We excuse ourselves and critique others for the same thing. But we are all supposed to have grown out of this juvenile, immature idea that excuses save us. That if I can blame someone else and it wasn't me, that therefore it's all okay, it all goes away. It doesn't. The writing is still on the steps. Excuses today, I want to say to us as believers, people of God, excuses will never take you where you want to go. What was that, visa? Maybe I can think, it always takes you where you want to go. Excuses are not visa. Okay, that's bad. That's a bad analogy. But excuses are not for us. Reasons are different. Reasons are important to understand. Reasons do not ask to be excused from the consequences. They may look at why we got here so that I don't have to get here again. That's effective. That's helpful. And I'm not saying excuses aren't real. Sometimes it isn't your fault. You aren't to blame. But there's this pull in us as human beings that says, if it's not my fault, then I am also excused from the fallout of it. And that's just not true. That's not the way life works. 
It still happened. It still has consequences. Excuses deal with blame, not fallout. Excuses don't help us. And I want to see in this story today where Moses deals with the people's actions. Through this chapter, through chapter 32, the people have rebelled against their covenant with God. They have made a golden calf. They have thrown a party and worshipped it while Moses is up on the mountain meeting with God. And Moses comes down the mountain and he breaks the tablets and he, and he grinds up the, the golden calf into dust. Seems like it took a while for him to accomplish all these things. And now he's going to confront the people who are responsible for this rebellion, for this turning away from God. And what he's face to face with is people who make excuses. And he calls them to something different. And I would say to you, maybe you'll feel stuck in your life. Maybe you feel overwhelmed. Maybe you feel crushed down. Maybe you feel heavy. You feel like the more you try, the less happens. It could very well be that this mornings and and the thing that we're going to talk about this morning is the thing that could set you free because i believe that when you are drawn to excuse yourself whether it's rationalizing something or lying to yourself or whatever when you're drawn to excuse yourself or demand to be excused you probably need to be making a decision instead and this uh, this graphic is simple enough that it can help me and and i didn't have it for the first service but bob put it for the second Decisions are greater than excuses. Decisions are greater than excuses. God is bringing us to places where we need to make a decision. And we tend to try to make an excuse. And that's exactly what happens in this story, especially at the beginning. So in Exodus 32, we're going to start at verse 21. Moses has come down the mountain, has found everybody partying and worshiping the golden calf. He has broken the tablets of the law. He has ground the, the, the calf up to powder and burned it and spread it out in the water. And now he turns to the one he left in charge, Aaron. And he says this, verse 21. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Verse 22, do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Not my fault, not my fault, not my fault. I mean, you know how they are, right? I mean, what could I do? Can you feel the excuse to start right off the bat? You know how how they are. Keep going. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, whoever has gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure how it happened. I mean, we were all like, we didn't know what was going to happen. We all threw the gold into the fire. And we we're like, oh, let's see what happens. I wonder what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, oh, this calf came walking out of the fire. Aaron thinks like many people do today. If someone else is responsible, or at least if I'm not responsible, then it's all okay. And the problem with believing that, and you've experienced this in your life, if I believe that the solution is pointing the finger at someone else, it draws me into dishonesty and deception half-truths, shading the truth, twisting the truth. And so Aaron mostly says the truth, but then what? (laughs) Moses begins by asking Aaron, what did these people do to you 
I left you in charge, Aaron. You were with me this whole time. We, we went before Pharaoh, and you saw when we put the stick out that it turned into a snake, and, and when we put it over the water, it turned to blood, and you saw plague after plague after plague. You saw the waters parted. What did these people do to you so that you would agree to this? You're their leader. How could you do this? You're my brother, my older brother. How could you do this? While I was up on the mountain meeting with God. Such a loaded question. You know better, and you're responsible. You're the leader. Surely you didn't choose this. Surely there was some force applied so that you did this. It was as much about Moses being shocked as it was about trying to hold Aaron's feet to the fire. And so what Aaron does is he tries to excuse himself. What he says is almost repeating the beginning of the chapter word for word, but the ending is quite different. Like, I didn't know what was going to happen. I, I just started asking people to give me their gold earrings, and you know, I, I was just like, step one, I didn't know what was going to happen in step two. Aaron is trying to say, I know the command that we all heard was not to make a golden idol, and I know that's what happened, so it can't be me. So when I tell the story, I will be very clear about everything except my part in it, because if I don't acknowledge my part in it, then I am not in trouble. Then I am excused from the consequences as well. Believers, there is a spiritual war going on in your lives every single day. The enemy wants to wreck and destroy you. He wants to tear the body of Christ apart. He wants to leave you stuck in the muck and the mire. He wants to get you bogged down. He wants you to, to go round and round in circles. He wants you to be exhausted, deflated, defeated. That's what he wants for you. And one of the most effective traps he will put out in front of you all through this year is to get stuck in excuses. A little dishonesty, a little rationalization, a little finger pointing, and I feel better, but I stay stuck. Decisions are greater than excuses. Moses turns his attention from Aaron after that story, he doesn't even respond to Aaron. It is so ridiculous, he doesn't even respond to him. He just moves on. So verse 25 down to verse 29, Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, You have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. That's hard to read, isn't it? What do you do with that? Trying to share Jesus with somebody and somebody opens the Bible to Exodus 32 and reads that and says, is this the God you serve? You're like, uh. There are real questions here. And I think anytime you read something like this, it brings up questions in you. And some of that is this. We far too often are ready to make God like a cartoon, an easy to understand, fully comprehensible God who's just good all the time and nice all the time, and that's what it is. And, and so when this stuff comes up, we're like, oh, that seems like a different God. Maybe God is deeper and more vast and more contoured 
than you've given him credit for. Maybe you've made him into some image that he isn't. And maybe reading stuff like this challenges us to confront our view, our thin view of God. Because this seems so harsh and so deadly, it doesn't fit in with the narrative that we had. So when you come to places like this in Scripture, I would say to you, when you have questions like that, remember, there's probably more to this than just the words you're reading, than a simple glossed-over reading of it. Remember this whole narrative. Remember that God rescued people from slavery and brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, and brought them to the mountain. Remember that God spoke His commands from the mountain to the whole nation, and they all heard it. And then He asked them if they agreed to it, and they all said, yes. They all made a covenant with God. And one of the very clear instructions was not to make a God of gold to worship. And that's exactly what they did. So there's more to this, and I, I want to look at what exactly happened in just a minute. But before I get to that, let me just say this. The bigger point here is not to get lost in people died. The bigger point here is to see what Moses did first. Because that's the story. Here's the story. You blew it, Israel. You all took exactly what God had told you not to do, and you went and did it. So what's the first thing Moses says to them? Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. He said, you've all made a choice. It's a disastrous choice. It's the wrong choice. It's a rebellious choice. It's a choice away from God and away from life and away from hope and away from the covenant. It's a choice away. But now you have another choice, a choice of redemption, a choice to come back, a choice to heal a choice to know God again. God is such a God of redemption that even this rebellion does not stop him from offering an opportunity to turn back. For you and I, it means this. Maybe you've blown it in your life. Maybe you've made a choice that you wish you hadn't made. Maybe you've piled up choices that you hadn't made. Maybe they're bad enough to be on par with at the mountain of God building an idol and then throwing a party. Maybe they're on par with that. And if they are, or even if you think they're worse, God is a God who offers a choice after you've made the choice. God is a God of redeeming. He's a God of another chance. He's a God who calls to those who are lost and those who are broke. You don't have to come back, but He offers for you to come back. No matter how far down a road you've gone, no matter how broken it seems, how hopeless it seems, no matter how many choices you've piled up in the wrong direction, God is calling you. And if you're listening to this, you're here today, God is calling you right now to say, it's not too late and I'm not too small. I have enough to heal this, to restore this, to redeem this, to fix this. What a great Savior we serve. But Moses recognizes what Aaron tried to ignore. That even though Aaron wanted to excuse himself from the decisions, the fallout was still in front of them. Moses sees the people running wild and they're out of control. They are a laughing stock to their enemies. In other words, what Moses recognizes is a couple of weeks ago we had a battle. Like before Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days, a couple of weeks before that, they had a battle, an unexpected battle where the Amorites came down upon them and they were not ready for it. They were a bunch of slaves. They don't know how to fight. 
And God miraculously delivered them. Remember, Moses went up on the mountain and Aaron and Hur held his arms up. As long as his arms are up, they win. And when his arms come down, they don't win. So this is not theoretical. Moses is going, we never know when another enemy is coming to battle us. And here we are in disarray, vulnerable and weak. There is fallout to the choices that you made. And it's fallout beyond just breaking your covenant with God. It's fallout in the physical danger of your life as well. And so Moses recognizes that, and what he does first is call them to a new choice. Call them to a better choice. Call them to a decision that would bring salvation. Aaron tried to make an excuse, not my fault, but what he needed to do was make a decision. That was wrong, and I need to get on the Lord's side. It is never too late to turn to what is right. And that's the opportunity God gave to Aaron. Moses gave to Aaron. And when those come to him that are, that are like, we're going to be on the Lord's side, Moses says to them, go out into the camp and bring justice to those who are rebelling against the covenant of God. What seems clear, if you, if you kind of like put the details together here, is that not everyone who blew it died. Why do I say that? Well, he gives us a number here of about 3,000. If you remember from the beginning of the story, there's a numbering of those who go out of Egypt and, and into like this, this exodus, into this journey in the wilderness. And it was numbered at around 650,000 men, plus women and children. Many people have estimated that somewhere between 1.5 million and 2 million Israelites left Egypt. So 1.5, 2 million, 3,000. Doesn't seem like a massacre, does it? See, I mean, I'm not saying 3,000 is nothing, but it's a very, very, very small percentage, especially when you consider that the picture is the whole nation has rebelled. Moses says to those who are going to execute justice, go out and find people that need to die. There's some kind of idea of a line of delineation. My guess is, and I think it's supported from this story, that there were many, many people, the vast majority of people, that when Moses came down the mountain and threw the tablets down and they, they recognized that they had blown it, they stopped. They were broken about it. They felt a little hopeless about it. And they were looking for what to do next. But there were some people who were like, who cares? We're doing this. And I believe those are the ones that saw the sword. Those are the ones that, that Moses, he sent them out to go up and down through the camp, to, basically on a search, and saying to them, the, there are certain people that need to face this judgment now. Because in this moment, with all of that background, even with that mistake in their past, if they are not able or willing to turn around, they never will. They have made a choice, and that choice for them is going to be permanent. So God says it's time for them to be brought to judgment. And these men, as they go out, they are not to be impartial. They are not to hold back if it's a friend or a relative. They have to have, and it's a hard thing to do, but they were supposed to go out and say, anyone who's rejected the covenant of God and will not turn back, that person has to die. Now you say, okay, well, that's fine. It was only 3,000, but that's still 3,000 people, and it seems very, very harsh, very extreme. If that's you, and I think that's a lot of people a lot of times, but why do people have to die? It seems so harsh. Let me just tell you two things. It's, it's like our, our culture is showing, our Americanism is showing, our, our modernness is showing. First, we almost always underestimate the seriousness of sin and rebellion. 
I mean, all they did was sin and rebel. So why do they have to die? Why wouldn't they? Sin is so much more serious than the way we play with it, than the way that we excuse it. We think that Moses sent these guys out to bring death into the equation, but they had already brought death into the equation with their sin. Man, it wasn't physical death, as though that's the biggest thing out there. Does anybody here think that life or death physically is the biggest issue of your life? It's not even the biggest issue, like close, right? The biggest issue is eternal life. That far outweighs this physical, but we all get stuck on the physical life as being the big thing. And when spiritual death shows up, we're like, whatever, no big deal. No, it was a big deal. It is a big deal. And I believe God is at work in the church to say, you've got to start recognizing what a big deal it is. You've got to stop excusing yourself from the things that should not be a part of your life. The things that culture allows but God does not allow. Sin is serious. Sin is deadly. And when I'm offended by the word of God because of what God did because of sin, it shows that I have a problem and I have a vulnerability to, this, to the, the, the enemy sucking me into stuff I shouldn't be a part of by thinking that it's for my benefit. Isn't that how sin started in the garden? God says, don't eat this tree. And they're like, oh, that looks like a good tree to eat. All along the way, we underplay sin. So that's one. The other thing is this. We underestimate the greatness of grace. We think it is a light and easy thing for God to just overlook sin and move on. It's not that big of a deal. You can just brush it aside. Let me say this. Grace is so much more costly than that. If all God had to do was be like, yeah, well, I'm just going to brush it aside. I'm going to just not look at it. Okay, it's fine. If all God had to do to get rid of sin was that, then he was very foolish to send Jesus to die, right? The fact that he sent Jesus to die tells us how costly grace is. How big of a deal it is that God sent Jesus. So when we read stuff like this, I try to remember sin is deadly serious. And salvation's cost was more than I could imagine. And when I treat sin like it's excusable, And when I treat grace like it's cheap, it makes it hard for me to understand a God who would do this. But when I recognize sin is deadly serious and salvation has an unbelievable cost, then I look at this and I see the grace of God poured out on millions of people. Back to excuses or decisions. Moses has got to deal with the fallout. He, he makes a decision. So verse, 35, verse 30 down to verse 35, it says this. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they did with the calf Aaron had made. Excuses are gone at the end because of what they had done with the calf Aaron had made. God sees right through our excuses, doesn't he? Back to excuses or decisions. Moses has got a decision to make. 
Moses, of all the people, along with Joshua maybe, could have been excused. He could have gone up the mountain and he could have said to God, now God, listen, those people, you know those people. I mean, I wasn't down there. I had nothing to do with it. Clearly, I was up here with you. You know that. You're my witness. I was up here with you. Those people did all this stuff. What what are we going to do with them, God? (laughs) Right? Isn't that what we would do? I mean, those losers, those people who were wrong, those people who did the wrong thing, don't we love to them? Not me, them, them, them. Excuse, excuse. Moses didn't make an excuse, although he had one ready made. Moses made a decision. And he went up the mountain as the leader of this people. And he said, maybe I can make atonement for your sin. The word atonement is a biblical word that means to make things right, to repay, to restore peace. How in the world could Moses suggest, I'm going to go up the mountain and I'm going to make reparations to God for your rebellion? How in the world could Moses try to repay God for what they had done? This was his plan. He goes up the mountain and first thing he does, he makes no excuses. He doesn't say, well, God, they kind of messed up, but you can understand it. Everybody was doing it. They got caught up. He doesn't say that. What he says is, these people have committed a great sin. Oh, what a great sin they have committed, God. He unflinchingly looks at what's done. You cannot move past what has broken you until you look at it and acknowledge it. Too many of us want to pretend that if I just move on and put it back there, it's no big deal. I read one time that's like burying someone alive. It just keeps coming back. Moses goes up the mountain and he makes no excuses. He faces it head on. And the second thing Moses does is he says, let me pay for their sin. That's an incredible statement, isn't it? God, if if you can't forgive them, let me be the one that pays for it. I'm their leader. I'm going to protect them. I'm going to watch out for them. I'll stand in their place. So let me be the one that pays for it. Kind of just makes me think, Moses was up on the mountain for 40 days. I guess when you're around God a lot, you start to become like him. Because isn't that what God did? He had every excuse to say, mankind has made a mess of the gifts I've gave them. Oh, well, start over. But he didn't. He said, let me take the punishment for their sin. I wonder how many of us would love people so much that we would say this in the presence of God. If I was standing face to face with God, would I say, those people that I've been free to talk about online or harbor bitterness in my heart, would I stand before God and say, God, they've blown it. It's a big, big problem. Would you punish me for their problem? I'm not talking about standing up in front of people and saying, I wish that God, I'm not talking about getting credit for it. I'm talking about before God the judge, would you say, take me instead of them? Moses makes a decision, not an excuse. And God mostly deals with this rebellion in mercy. The problem is the people don't learn. And over and over again in the story to come, God's people rebel against the God who saved them. I think we could probably identify with that, can't we? As many times as he saves me, I need him to save me again, don't I? Again and again and again. 
I can't sort out everything that happened from there. You know, why did Aaron get off scot-free and get to become the high priest of the people? Who died and who didn't die? Actually, did anyone die? Because it just says he sent a plague, but it doesn't say anybody died from the plague. So I don't know about all that. What I know is this. I believe right now this passage for us today is pretty easy to apply. Maybe you've been trusting excuses to fix your life. And today the Spirit of God is saying to you, that's why you're stuck. It will never fix your life. The writing is still on the steps. You haven't dealt with it. The fallout is still yours. You haven't escaped it by saying it's their fault or it's their fault or it's their It's yours. And God is saying it's time for you to acknowledge what's there. Even if it wasn't your fault or wasn't all your fault, it's your fallout and it's time to stop putting your trust in excuses. Instead, it's time to make a decision. And I don't know what that is for you, but I know this. The enemy will keep whispering at you, there's nothing you can do. There's no way you can escape this. It wasn't even your fault. It wasn't a problem that you could have stopped or you could have fixed. So what could you do about it now? And what I'm saying to you is that's exactly true for Moses. But Moses marches up the mountain and says, I'm going to stand here and do what's right. And I'm saying to you, you have a lot more decisions than you probably have given yourself the license to make. You've excused and excused so much that it's a reflex and you're stuck and discouraged and entangled more than you've ever been in your life. I don't know what decision God is calling you to, but if you find yourself reflected in this mirror of, yeah, I'm somebody who's been stuck in excuses, then I guarantee you God is putting in front of you the opportunity to make a decision that will set you free. And I pray that we will make it. I pray we will learn from Moses and the Israelites' experience. So let's close this morning in a word of prayer. We'll close and be dismissed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story. I thank you for your love and for the way that your spirit speaks to us as we read it, as we look into it. I know all of us, myself included, are just so quick to excuse ourselves, to make sure that everyone knows that somebody else is to blame and someone else is at fault as though that does something eternal. And yet, Father, many of us know We have been stuck in an area of our life or in a spot in our soul for a long time. We've never connected it to the way we excuse ourselves. But today, Father, I pray your spirit would breathe your truth, your discernment, your life into your people and that we would see the way to shake off this false faith in making excuses and instead Give us clarity about the decisions that we have, the decisions we need to make, the decisions that call us to faith, the decisions that call us to return, to stop acting like the decisions I've made up to this point are the end of the story or there's no way out of them. But now, Father, you've shown us and you've taught us and your Spirit is calling to us to believe there's redemption and there's healing and there's restoration in the name of Jesus. So today, Father, I ask that you would By the power of your Spirit, show us where these things are. Help us to respond. Help us to live as people who are set free, people who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Help your name to be made great in our lives. And so, Father, for those who are right now struggling 
as we're praying, they're struggling with what to do. I pray that if they're turned to you, your spirit would bring peace to their soul, that you will lead them step by step, that you will give them the words and the strength, that you will give them the opportunity, that you will give them the direction that they need. But that first step is, whoever's on the Lord's side, come here. And I pray that we would in our souls come to you this day. So Father, as we go from this place, do this in us. Make this alive in us. We ask and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody.